We are in part four of our Discovering the Supernatural series, and this morning's message is called Discovering the Voice of the Lord. Now, I'm going to be talking about some very unusual stuff this morning. I'm going to be talking about God speaking through people. Now, that whole idea is pretty radical, that God would use human beings as conduits or voice boxes. When we hear about the phrase, the body of Christ, how realistic is that? What you're going to find out is that many, many times if Jesus wants to share a message, if the Holy Spirit wants to say something, he will go right through you and actually utilize your voice box. Now, when we talk about stuff like supernatural revelation from God, we're talking about an area that is a bit mysterious. I do not pretend to have the corner market on this stuff, right? I don't have it all figured out. I have been studying this stuff for the last maybe 30 years or so, but most intensely the last decade. And I still feel super new, right? Like there's so much to it and there's so much I don't understand yet. So what I'm trying to do is bring in scripture and allow us to walk through the journey of discovery together so that you might be able to say, oh, I like what he said there, I don't understand that part, and you just go, well, he probably doesn't either, right, that kind of stuff. But hopefully, we're all gonna grow and learn together. So real quick show of hands, how many of you are personally familiar with stuff like speaking in tongues and prophecy? Raise your hand. Anybody grow up like that? Okay, great. So there's a lot of you, there's half of you that did, half of you that didn't. And indeed, that's a big part of Bridgeway is being able to say we need charismatics and conservatives at the same table, right? We are a word and spirit church. That means that we are anchored in the word of God. You'll notice I speak and teach expositorily. We're big Bible fanatics here, right? And accuracy and inerrancy of the word. Well, at the same time, we pursue the Holy Spirit and pursue his gifts and pursue what he has for us. It's kind of like getting all the, you know, the little brainiacs and the weirdos at the same table. It's very beautiful, right? We want that. Now, if you are not quite sure about how the miraculous works today, I would encourage you to go back to part one of this series. I do a little recap there. If you need a deep dive scripturally, uh, back in 2017, I did a supernatural series through our faith and culture um, grouping of teachings, which you can go onto our website, bridgeway.church, and you can look under faith and culture, that's in the media, and you can watch all four parts, and that does a serious examination scripturally of the supernatural for today. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again, if you define yourself as a Christian. The idea that you're talking about weird, that ship sailed a long time ago. You are already weird. Now, the reason why I mention this is that I'm gonna start talking about stuff and you're gonna go, that's weird. Which I think is rather ironic that you would say that. Because you're weird. The very idea that you believe in an invisible God, that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came down and he died and rose again. He died for your sins. That you're going to go into heaven, a place that you've never seen, you cannot analyze. This whole stuff makes you weird. You use bizarre phrases like, uh, it's all the cross, brother. It's all the cross. What the heck are you talking about? Uh, covered by the blood, man, covered by the, okay, what? You just sound like a serial killer. Like, I don't know, right? You just need to understand. We're only talking about degrees of weird now, yes? So if we're gonna talk about this stuff, just remember, it's only weird if you haven't engaged with it much. The minute you're used to it, it's not weird anymore. It just is what it is. And the way that we operate here at Bridgeway is that we will continue to press us forward until Biblical reality becomes our reality. Do you understand? That means that until our lives start lining up and looking a lot like the Bible, we got a long way to go. Does that make sense? Well, we're seeing stuff in Scripture that maybe is not always present in its fullness here in our lives, so we got to study this and talk about it. 
But what is intriguing to me is that some of us will go, man, I'm just more comfortable with just the Bible. And just give me the, I just want to be the Bible. You're kind of like on the intellectual side, right? The little academics. And you're like, man, I just, the Bible's safe. The Bible is solid. Okay, hold up. You remember how we got this, yeah? Here's how Peter described it. 2 Peter 1.20. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The very Bible that you're reading and you feel safe and comfortable with is a supernatural document that was relayed to people through the very things we're about to talk about. This whole business about once it got written down, it became normal. It's not normal, this whole thing is unusual. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the only way you can read it rightly is supernatural illumination. All I'm trying to tell you is what you think is normal just means familiar. We have a lot of things to learn. Here's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. All of God's communication is supernatural. All of God's communication is supernatural. When deity speaks, it's by definition supernatural. It's not rocket science, just practical, right? All right, fantastic. Now, last week when we were together, I walked us through the love chapter, right? That's kind of what we call it now. Love is patient, love is kind, this whole idea. And what, what we were studying was that Paul has written this letter to a very rebellious church, the Corinthians, and he wrote this letter and he said, guys, listen, out of all the churches that I've led, man, you're probably the most supernaturally locked and loaded I've ever seen. Like you guys are so advanced in the gifts. Everybody's speaking in tongues. Everybody's doing prophecy. They're seeing miracles, signs and wonders everywhere. He's like, you guys are so amped with the anointing and power of God. But here's the problem. You guys are a mess. And you know why you're a mess? The problem isn't the gifts, the problem is your heart. You all have allowed something that was supposed to be a blessing turn into a curse, because you're selfish. Like what God wanted to do to promote everyone, you've used to promote yourself. That's not how this works. So you've allowed it to get yucky and we need to clean this stuff up. I want you to be supernaturally on fire. I want you to have all this operating, but I can't have you do it when you're only thinking about you. It doesn't work. I need you to be loving. I need you to be kind. I need you to be able to care for one another. This whole idea that you got a spiritual gift means that you can use it to bless somebody else. Do not let your unloving attitudes ruin stuff. That's really a correction. That's what we're looking at. So that's why we had the whole love thing right in the middle of a supernatural passage. All right, so turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. It says this. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Let's just pause right there. That's, that's a big deal. Because the whole idea of getting involved in spiritual gifts and when we're talking about the power of God, when we're talking about stuff that's over our head, now all of a sudden you have messy people engaging with supernatural stuff, which means everything gets messy really fast. As a matter of fact, many denominations, many churches, many leaders have said, you know what, it's too much too much mess, I don't wanna bother with it. Let's just ignore all that stuff and let's just focus on maybe just talking about academics. Now, granted, it is absolutely messy. As a matter of fact, it has cost me and this church significantly over the years to pursue the Holy Spirit. I regret nothing. I didn't do it because it was easy. I didn't do it because it was, oh, that's a good way to grow the church, right? No, no. That's why in 2014, we lost 1,000 people. No, we do it because it's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, 
we're going to pursue it. That's just how it works. So I understand the mess. I understand the cost. What I'm telling you is if it's like Jesus, I'm in. Does that make sense? So we're going to lean into that, right? Because we, we do need all this stuff. We do need engagement with God. We do need experiences with the Lord. We do need gifts that we can partner with him and do stuff with him. That builds relationship. And that's ultimately what we're going for. Glorification of God and relationship with our king. Amen? That's really the whole point. So what Paul starts out by saying is he said, listen, we can be loving and pursue the gifts, but we need both at the table if it's going to continue to be a blessing. All right, let's keep moving forward. He said, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. All right, let's pause. Why does it seem that Paul is pitting tongues against prophecy? Well, remember, this is a letter of correction. They had overamped the tongue side, and he was trying to balance the scales. So he was trying to lift up and say, guys, all the gifts are super important. All of them are valuable, but some of them have an immediate benefit to the group. Those are the ones I want to kind of camp on, right? All of them are beautiful. You being built up is great, but we also need to build up one another, do we not? All right. So he's trying to level it out. So what do they have in common? They are both supernatural downloads of revelation from God. It is God speaking through you. Now, sometimes he talks in English, we call that prophecy. And sometimes he talks in another language, we call that tongues. So it's rather simple in that regard, but it is God speaking. Now, there are some of us that actually live in a worldview that we serve a quiet God. For example, we would say, man, I've been a Christian a really long time. Pray, 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 never heard anything. Everybody's like, oh, I heard God say this. Well, I didn't hear anything, right? And every time I pray, it feels like, well, my prayers are kind of hitting the ceiling and bouncing off, right? So this whole idea of I've even gone to a retreat and everything was super quiet and I was totally listening and I didn't hear anything. God is quiet. That would be a mistake because that is not true. How do we know that? Well, let's walk through a little bit of biblical history. How did God create the universe? He spoke. Why? If you're God, why don't you just think and it shows up? Why bother talking? That's weird. Why not snap your fingers? Why not shape it with your hands? Why would you create through a vocalization? That's strange. Then we find out that the Son of God came. Yes? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with us. The, excuse me, the Word was with God and the Word was God. In verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? Jesus Christ. Why is the Son of God defined as a word, an expression, the logos? That's kind of weird, don't you think? As a matter of fact, the more and more you look at all this stuff, you begin to realize, oh, that's interesting. We're supposed to live every day like daily bread on the word of God, that that is our sustenance. Oh, and then in Revelation, we find out that we overcome the enemy by the word and our testimony. 
That's interesting. We find out we get saved by if you believe in your heart Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. What does that have to do with it? We find out that Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep follow my what? Voice. That means he is always leading, always talking, constantly moving. Our job is to track with him. No, no, no. We do not have a silent God. We have an ever active, talkative God who's constantly communicating. The question is not, is he communicating? The question is, are we picking up on the messages? That's the goal. So what's prophecy? Prophecy is a gift from the Lord when he speaks through you in a way that you can communicate clearly. Right? It could be everything from like the big dogs in the Old Testament, like Daniel and Joseph, talking about the future, right? Talking about kingdoms that would come that they didn't even know about. They're talking about the Greek empire. They're talking about the Roman empire. All that stuff happened after them. How in the world did they know that stuff? God was sharing with them through that. Sometimes prophecy is simply God saying, I need you guys to be aware of something right now. That's it. The whole idea of me sharing the word of God is an act of prophecy. As I'm preaching it to you, of telling you what he said, speaking for God. It can be as basic as that. So it's all over the map. In the New Testament, we have prophets as well. Now, sometimes they were just regular folks that God wanted to speak through in the moment, but they wouldn't be called prophets by office. And those are the type of people that I'm talking about, like, um, if you're going to talk about maybe Paul and Silas, excuse me, if you're going to talk about um, Jude and Silas, they probably prophesied in the moment, but you wouldn't call them a prophet. But the four daughters of Philip were called prophetesses. That was their job. That's what they did. You got John the Baptist being a prophet. You got Agabus in the New Testament. He's a guy that was a consistent prophet. Anna was a prophet. Paul was a prophet. You got all these people speaking for God. And then we come to Jesus. Jesus was what we would consider a continual prophet. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, I do not speak anything on my own accord, but I speak only what my heavenly father has told me. That means every ministry thing he was saying was a direct download from the Holy Spirit. He was a continual office of a prophet. That's the reason why many world religions may not consider Jesus to be the son of God, but almost all of them call him a prophet. They know something was different about how he communicated. Now, when we talk about all this prophecy stuff, this is where some of you are gonna default and go, hold up, hold up, pastor, I read Deuteronomy, which by the way, you get a gold star. Right? Because in order to get to Deuteronomy, you had to go through Leviticus, which is messed up, man. That is a weird book, all right? If you got to Deuteronomy, you begin to read and you're like, I know this. If any prophet ever messed up, they were supposed to be stoned to death, right? First of all, what is wrong with you? Why are you automatically thinking about stoning people to death? That's not how it works in the New Testament. It's actually a different era. The reason why that was the case in the Old Testament is we didn't have any revelation from God to test things with. Anyone that was saying, thus saith the Lord, would have to be obeyed 100%. But isn't that rife with danger? And God said, all right, we're gonna put high stakes on this. We're gonna put high accountability. Nobody can even assess whether or not it's from me or not. So let's do this. They, what they said either is true or it's not true. If it's not true, we're not locking that one down. That person's gotta go. That's not the case in the New Testament. We'll talk about a lot of that next week. What are tongues? Right? The tongues are when the Holy Spirit speaks through you in an unknown language. And there's two different kinds of tongues. There's a personal prayer language called praying in the Spirit. That's a personal thing between you and God. And then there's a gift of tongues that is actually for a group, right? Let's think about maybe a missional community, small group, 
church service. That's a different thing because that's now, hey, everybody quiet down. I got something. Boom, you come out with it. And then everyone's supposed to go, amen. But they have no idea what you just said. So they got to wait and go, I hope somebody is going to help us out here. Where's the interpreter? Then the interpreter lets them know, oh, they said this. And everyone's like, amen. And they move on, right? All right. We're gonna talk about this for a moment. Let's talk about this idea of a private prayer language, right? Have you guys ever been around anybody that prays in tongues, right? You're like all praying and everyone's doing all normal stuff, right? Oh, Lord, we pray for that. All of a sudden, somebody's like, you were like, whoa, the heck just happened there? Did your engine start? What happened? Right? Now, what is going on there? Huh, well, this is what we want to talk about. Jesus' brother Jude wrote a book, and in verse 20 it says, But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Hmm, that's interesting. Well, first of all, what's this whole prayer language thing for, right? It's this private spirit-based prayer and praise session and it's connection with God, spirit direct, not through your brain. Someone who does that has no idea what they're saying. How does that benefit you? Well, I've noticed that there's three layers that God allows connection and communication between us and him. One is through our brains, our intellect, right? That's the stuff where we kind of think through our prayers and we pray out loud in our own language, right? Or we pray in our heads. But then there's another level, which is on an emotional level. Right now, if you're an academic sort, if you're kind of like me, where you're a little bit more analytical and you're a little bit more academic in that way, you love the head knowledge stuff. As a matter of fact, what you're always looking for in any sermon is something new to learn about God, right? You love that idea. And so you're just waiting. I got to hear something. Because what it does is hearing the information bonds you emotionally to God because you feel like you know him more. That's one way to connect with God. But there's also a lot of people who their go-to is not that. What they are looking for is a heart connect. That's emotions. Emotions do not always come through your brain. A lot of times they just come in through your heart. So for example, you're someone that loves to do experiences with someone. You're probably really into worship. Music is your jam, right? You love the idea that you could be in an atmosphere where you're soaking up God, right? You love this idea that when they're saying, you're like, oh my gosh, I got chills, right? This kind of thing. Oh, I love this song. Oh, I'm so into the Lord. You're crying and, and you have this beautiful, God, you're so good. And then you walk out, right? Do you realize there's a third level? The third level is a spirit connection. And this is the one that we're not great at. And the main reason is we don't understand it and we don't have control over it. You guys, we're all control freaks. We love control. But a spirit connection means that there is something between your inner spirit of God connecting with the Holy Spirit of God. How does that work? Well, Romans 8:26. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's at a different level. Now you're like, oh, no, no, I got this one. I got this one, totally. Like that one time when I was so into God, I started sobbing and nobody could hear what I was saying. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. That's actually emotional. That, even though you were sobbing and we couldn't understand you, you were still trying to operate through words. It's actually deeper than that. I'm talking about something that there is a communion going on on a whole different level where you're connecting with God. And you're only going to find out whether or not that occurred in retrospect. It's the idea of how Jesus would withdraw in solitude and silence and spend time with the Father and come out locked and loaded for ministry. Not all of that was talking. Not all of it was even listening. Some of it was just communion. We have a little bit of this with human beings, not a lot, 
but we have a little bit of this when there's people that you care about and you don't say anything, there's nothing really going on, but you're in each other's presence and it somehow matters. That's a little tiny snippet of human to human, right? All right, so let's talk about this prayer language thing, this idea that you would have a personal prayer language, right? It doesn't need to be interpreted. It's not for anybody else. It's all talking directly to God. You're just praying along. So what is it like? Well, there's actually two types, two little camps, right? There's the repeated phrase camp, right? And then there's the, oh my gosh, that's an actual language. It's kind of going on and on and on. So, so let's talk about those two for a moment, like the, the repeated phrases. Now, what this is, is this idea that something kind of keeps going over and over in your head. And you're like, well, is that legit, right? And, and I'm not telling you everything is legit. I'm just telling you, let's analyze this stuff. If you've been around a charismatic environment, and indeed, that was my growing up, if you're around a charismatic environment, it is culturally not only acceptable, it's expected that everybody does stuff like this. And so like people that are kind of funny, critical people on the outside, we call those folks the shit about a Hyundai people. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Right? You're like, did you, what did you just say again? Like, you're like, okay. It's just the same thing over and over and over. And you're like, mm, that doesn't sound like a language to me. It sounds like you're just babbling, right? All right, well, let's talk about that for a moment. Three things might be important to understand whether or not that is legit. Number one, have you ever heard people in English agree in prayer before? Here's what happens if you're praying with me. If you're praying out loud, here's what my agreements sound like. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, more of you, God, more of you, God, more of you, God. Is that not sound right? Is that not something you've ever heard somebody do? Are those not the same three words over and over and over again? So that's interesting. In English, it suddenly makes sense. Huh, okay, let's talk about another one. Let's say it's not, you're like, that's not a word. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but that ain't a word, right? You're doing something else weird. All right, here's another analogy. How about this one? Have you ever raised a baby? You ever watched them learn how to talk? How does it work? Something like this. They're just starting to use their vocal cords and they have things to share. <laughs> yeah? They're like, blah, 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 blah. Now, you're supposed to know what they're talking about, right? They're looking at you, they're like, blah, blah. And you're like, mm, yeah, bro, I have no idea what you're just saying right there. They're like, ah, blah. Anyway, and you're, you're like going along, you're pushing their little stroller and they're like, blah, 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 blah. And they're pointing out everything around them. And then at some point they need something and they're like, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't know what you need. Just talk to me, right? They have no way to do that. What's intriguing about that is they're expressing a concept, but words don't work. Is it possible that we get a little too hung up on the control of knowing what we're saying. And here's where it becomes a problem. There are some of you in this room right now, you will not glorify God by praying out loud because you're afraid you're gonna say something wrong. How messed up is that? Wait, wait, hold up. You're not gonna talk to your king because you're afraid you're gonna sound stupid. You're way too hung up on language. So what if you have to express something that's super deep to your Lord, but you don't know the words to say? What are you gonna do? Is there any allowance for God to go, hey, kiddo, come on, man, let's go baby style, right? Like, let's just go. What do you got, right? You're like, ah, blah, 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 right? You're like, and he's like, I, I got you, I got you. Here's another possibility. Imagine that you end up going, man, I totally prayed for like some way to connect him with God and I got like three words. That was so lame, right? I got three words. After I finished preaching this last weekend, I had a gentleman come up from our church and he grew up in a Slavic church, Pentecostal Slavic church. His name's Oleg. And Oleg came up and he's like, pastor, I gotta tell you this story. 
he goes, in my church, everybody spoke in tongues. And it was this expectation that you had to do it, right? Which is not awesome, side note. But he's like, there was one guy and he only had three words. And all of us were looking at him like, mm, that's weak sauce, right? So he said, as a matter of fact, the group kind of started getting a little bit like judgmental and a little bit mean. Like, buddy, that's not legit. Like all the rest of us, we got a bunch of them. You only got three. They're like, it's probably not real. He said, well, we had a guest speaker come in, a guy that operates in the prophetic. He said, he doesn't know us, but all of a sudden he highlights out this guy. And we were like, oh, here it comes, right? He's gonna correct him, right? And he said, brother, the Lord revealed to me that you only have three words. I want you to know that in that language, those are the three highest words of praise, and it's all you need. And they were like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, we totally humiliated that guy. That's so embarrassing, right? Okay, here's my point. Does it mean everything is legit? No. Is there some cultural expectations where people are just doing whatever they're doing? I don't. What I'm telling you is be a little bit more grace-filled and a little bit more gentle in understanding that not everybody has the same stuff. And what they might be walking through is their way of trying to connect in with God. And I'm not quite sure we want to step on that. Does that make sense? All right, now, the other side of it is that, I don't know if you knew this, but I, I have a prayer language. And I'll, you won't hear it very often. I don't do it for show. It's not on stage. But if I'm praying over you personally, you'll hear me shift into a different language. Now, now my particular one, it actually sounds like a whole language. It just goes on and on and on. And it's kind of like we can just do this for a while and there's all different kinds of phrases. Every once in a while they'll repeat like a normal language, but it just has a lot of different words to it. Interesting. In order to understand that, let me tell you my story. I don't know how many of you know my background. I'm what you would call a spiritual mutt. Amen? You see, my mom, her family came out from Illinois following their pastor way back when she was a child. That's how they got to California. That pastor was a pastor of a Foursquare church. Foursquare is a charismatic denomination. When we got up here, we ended up at First Assembly of God, Roseville. So I grew up, my first church was in an Assembly of God church. That is an charismatic church, right? As a matter of fact, when my parents divorced, my mom put me into private school halfway through third grade. I went to Capital Christian, which is a assembly of God school, all the way through 11th grade. My entire childhood, when we then shifted over to a church, it was either Foursquare or Assembly. That was my entire childhood. I was super comfortable around an environment with tongues and healing and prophecy. It was just normal water I swim in. But then, around the age of 13, I ended up having a spiritual mentor that was very heavily into apologetics. Apologetics is the time, and I think every Christian needs to do this, but the time when you start analyzing the reasons for your faith. You know what I'm talking about? What are the reasons for the existence of God? What are the evidences for the resurrection? Where do the dinosaurs go? Right, that kind of stuff. Is it predestination or free will? Let's analyze, right? And really, it's the academic side of Christianity where it's analysis, analysis, analysis. Well, I got super heavy into that at 13. So much so that I was always doing research and I wanted to know facts. I wanted to know analysis. I wanted to know truth that could be proven. Well, what happens is when you get into that, as good as it is to help you own your faith, it kind of turns your eyes very critical to everybody else. Because all you're doing is analyzing if everyone else is right or wrong. So I started having a very kind of a, a critical spirit. And I had grown up in the assembly of God and charismatic denominations. And I was like, wait a second, there's some stuff that I like. There's some stuff that I don't like. I've had some messed up stuff happen and wait a second. So I started becoming very critical of charismatic denominations. And one of the things that really set me on that trajectory happened when I was 14 and it has to do with speaking in tongues. I went to a Bible camp and uh, they said uh, in the group, obviously it's middle school, and they said, how many of you wanna be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I was like, yeah, bring it, woo, 
right? Okay, now here's something you need to know about me. Anything that has to do with Jesus, I'm all in, okay? I have been saved 262 times, <laughs> right? Every altar call, I was like, yeah, woo! And they were like, Lance, you're already saved. Put your hand down, <laughs> right? And I was just like, more Jesus, more Jesus, you know. Maybe I'm not saved, okay? So I was that guy, right? So I was gonna jump at the chance to be able to have more of the Holy Spirit, whatever that meant. Now, so they had us get in line, they had people on stage that were praying for people. Well, here's what I realized when I got closer, up front of the line. They wanted you to come on stage and you were going to speak in tongues. And I was like, oh shoot, now I'm in line. I can't get out of line, right? This is so awkward. So finally, it's my turn. So they come up and they're like, all right, I'm gonna lay hands on you. We're gonna pray the Holy Spirit over you. And when you receive him, you're going to speak in tongues. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's real. Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. And so then they start praying. They're like, the Holy Spirit come upon them. They're like, all right, Lance, just open your mouth. Let it out, let it out, brother. Let it out. <laughs> just let it out. Anytime, let it out. And I'm like, dude, I am trying. I like have, I'm like, do I open wider? Right? Like, I'm like, oh, there is nothing happening. And I'm just like, this is so awkward. Right? Do I unhinge my jaw like a python? What do I, how am I supposed to get this? Right? Do I rub my belly? Okay. Now, when you realize it ain't happening, but you can't get off stage till it happens, you make something happen. Y'all tracking with me? Oh, I faked my way right off that stage. <laughs> Praise the Lord, bought a Hyundai, got out of there. <clears throat> and what that experience did is it put a bad taste in my mouth because I went, hold up, hold up. Now this is a forced issue and you're telling me that I don't have the Holy Spirit unless a certain manifestation occurs. And I was like, oh. As I continued to go down that route, I was like, mom, I don't wanna be in a charismatic church anymore. And she said, well, when you're 16 and can drive, you can make that call. As of right now, you're coming with me. Well, I turned 16, I ended up shifting over to a Calvary Chapel denomination. I went over to Warehouse Ministries in Sacramento, if you guys are familiar with that. Spent many years there. And then later on, I ended up uh, going to a First Covenant church Ended up getting married, went through a bunch of things, different covenant churches. And then ultimately I became the pastor of a former conservative Baptist church. Never actually been in a Baptist church. <laughs> and I've been there ever since. So here's my point. You see, we were non-denominational, but everyone that was part of the original group, it was born out of Arcade Baptist Church. So it was a conservative Baptist church background. So I was suddenly surrounded by Baptists. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was kind of in that vein anyway. I was kind of, my pendulum had swung over there. Well, at one point, finally, it began to dawn on me, and I felt like the Lord whispered to me as a pastor, and he said, hey, kiddo, love what you're doing. Love all this stuff. How long do you want to do this in your own strength? Like, at what point do you want your other hand free? Like, the whole pendulum swing, come on. Let's get that back in the middle, kiddo. And I began to pursue the Holy Spirit. The reason why I'm bringing all this up is you may have had all sorts of backgrounds. Your pendulum may have gone over the place. You may have had abuses in one area. You may have had things that you questioned. That's okay. We're all learning, right? We're all trying to grow. Now, the most famous example of the other type of tongues, which is a group gift, is really Pentecost. Do you guys remember that? In Acts chapter 2, they're in a prayer meeting. Holy Spirit hits, starts the church. They pour out into the streets, and they all start praising in different languages. Do you remember this? Now, the, one of the most interesting parts about it is they're challenged by the crowd. You guys remember? What was the challenge from the crowd? They were what? Drunk. Drunk. Now, next time you're in Walmart and someone speaks another language, is your first thought, wow, you're drunk? <laughs> or would you say... I think you're Spanish. I think you're Mexican. I think you're Italian. Why would you not think they're bilingual? If they're out there, because they said these guys are Galileans, how in the world are they in our language? Why wouldn't you automatically think they're educated? 
because something was weird about it. It was not quite as clean cut and easy and smooth as you might imagine. They were acting odd and speaking, hmm. All I'm trying to tell you is sometimes in our minds, we wanna clean up certain stories and make everything in a neat little box. I'm not quite sure that's how it works. Did you realize that nine years ago, a corporate gift of tongues happened here at Bridgeway? Yeah, I did. You guys remember this? Yep. I'd come out and I was ready to preach. And for whatever weird reason, I paused in my talking. I don't normally do this. <laughs> I normally just keep talking. And I paused and a lady in about the fourth or fifth row back on this side, she ended up speaking out in tongues rather loudly. And I was like, oh, here we go. This is interesting. How's this going to go? Right? She finishes, when she finishes, and she did it in the perfect way, very articulate, very clear, not long, boom. When she finishes, I was like, hmm, how am I going to handle this? All of a sudden, a man's voice pops up and says, Bridgeway, God has said, Bridgeway will be a house of prayer, a house of healing. And I was like, oh, dang, that was it. And I was like, I go, guys, everyone's like tripping, right? Oh my gosh, that was so weird, right? I said, guys, you just saw one of the most balanced, healthy examples of a corporate gift of tongues that you could possibly see. Now, what I did not know until much later was the man who interpreted was our own elder, Dale Johnston. I didn't know that. I found that out later. He wasn't an elder at the time but it was something that he easily knew. Okay, what I'm trying to tell you is we've had that around. You go, well, how come we don't have more of that? Well, I'm gonna tell you, it's actually not great for a room of a thousand people because <laughs> it gets really messed up really fast. What is, where it's best utilized is actually in small groups, missional communities, because then everyone can talk about it, they can ask questions, they can process, right? That's the idea of getting closer to God as opposed to just getting freaked out. Now. I will tell you that one of the reasons we don't have more of it is there is no allowance in our services to have it. You understand? I'm putting that responsibility on me. It's not like the Holy Spirit's not doing anything. I'm just making sure, right? Like, oh, I don't allow room for it. I'm, I'm quenching it. Let's just be clear on that, yeah? Now, I'm not doing that on purpose to hurt anybody. I'm just saying there's certain places that we should do it and certain places that we may not wanna do it because it causes confusion right? But maybe I should have a little bit more opportunity for it. Once again, I'm willing to grow in that area. Now, here's what Paul told us so far. Tongues speak to God, not to men directly. It's prayer or praise usually. Prophecy speaks from God to man. It's a horizontal communication. People speaking in tongues do not know what they're saying. People prophesying, when they prophesy, they encourage, build up, and console other people. That's what the Bible says. And you're like, hold on, hold on, that's one of my problems with all this. In the Bible, there was a lot of prophets that said stuff people didn't want to hear. Where's that? Okay, hold on. First of all, if God has something really harsh to say, he's probably going to go direct. He's probably not going to talk through you. You have a bad attitude already. Now, if God does need to use a donkey, he will but that's not his number one way to go. Does that make sense? Usually it's encouragement and comfort and strengthening. That's the point, all right? We'll keep moving forward. Paul said, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. Now he knows that not everybody has the gift of tongues. That's very clear. But he's like, hey, it's awesome as a connective element. That's beautiful. But he wished even more that everyone would prophesy. Why? Because some gifts have an instant benefit to other people and it's not just about you. He's like, that's even more awesome, right? All right, cool. Now, he said, but once you speak in a tongue in a group and you're like, hold on, hold on, everybody, I got something. Once you stopped everybody, if you interpret, it shifts it from the category of private tongues to corporate prophecy. It now shifts over to where it can be a message. That's what we ended up seeing here at Bridgeway, right? Okay, now let's move forward. Here's what he says, verse six. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? 
If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how's anyone gonna know what is played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how's anyone gonna know what you're saying? You'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, but none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is foreigner to me. What was his point? If you want to stop everyone just to let them watch you speak in a tongue, it's kind of a waste. Everyone's like, yeah, I have no idea what you just said, so I'm not sure if I want to say amen or not. Right? That's all. So with yourselves, verse 12, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the ones that build up the church. Let's pause. What is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Very simple. How would you know if the Holy Spirit was around? Because you can't see him, right? So how would you know? Everyone's got a different answer, right? Because some of you are like, man, I can just feel it. There's like a change in the atmosphere. Then some of you are like, I get chills. And some of you go, say, you know what? I just start getting emotional. Like I know that if I'm in a worship service and the Holy Spirit hits, I start to cry. Some of you, everybody's got all these different concepts. Whatever that is, is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? Manifestation means he made himself known. That's all. It's not fancy. It's not crazy. It's just basic. How would you know he manifested himself? Okay. I've had a couple of these. One of them is something super bizarre that when I pray healing over people, sometimes my right hand heats up. Now that's super trippy, not my left, right? So at worship, prayer, and healing night tonight, if I start praying with my left hand on you, all you gotta do is go, bro, what, what the heck? <laughs> Give me your weak hand. What the, what's the deal, dude? I prefer your right, thank you, right? You know, that kind of thing. Okay, I have no idea what's going on, but the point is that's happened. Here's the other one. I was at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and I laid my hand on the wall and I knelt my head down. And I said, God, show me your heart for your people. And I started bawling, but I had no emotion attached to it. It was weird. It was like somebody just turned on a spigot and I just started pouring water. Because here's what's interesting. Something spiritual was going on. My mind had no clue. My heart was not even moved. But God was doing something of the spirit. Had that happen a couple times. Here's another one. I went to a supernatural conference one time. And the guy up front was like, uh, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, if you want anointing, if you want uh, anything prayed over you, come up front. I was, you know, how do you think I responded? <laughs> yeah, I totally do. Okay. So I go right up front, right? And, and he's like, he starts praying in the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, everyone around me started falling out in the spirit. You guys know what this means? It means everyone's like, oh, like a possum. They're all like, whoa, everyone's going down, right? And they're like, doom, 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 but not me. I'm just standing awkwardly right in the middle. It's like the whole place got mowed down and I'm just 6'3", just standing right there like, hey, what's up? And everyone's like, mm, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit? That guy, right? You guys, it was so awkward. And I was like, hey, so I'm just gonna go to the back and I'm like, oh, I forgot something. And I like, you know, run away. <laughs> My point in bringing that up is sometimes we're like, oh God, I, I must not be holy enough. You guys, stop. I've been a pastor for a really long time. I lean into God really, really strong. Some stuff is just not for me. God didn't wanna move like that. That's okay. But I understand it was awkward for me, but God was just teaching me, hey, you're not going to fake it. You're not going to do anything. You just want what's legit. And right now, it was legit for them, not for you. Be who you are, kiddo. We got this. I just want to encourage you. Yeah? Just because it's happening to everybody else doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He's just working with you as an individual kiddo. Yeah? All right. Here's what he said, verse 18. I thank God that I, oh, excuse me, whoops, we jumped ahead, sorry. Whoops. Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, 
My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what will I do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit and I'll pray with my mind. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. I can do both. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up, tell you that. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, Paul said. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue that are just impressive. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Yeah, be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In Isaiah 28, it's written, by people of strange tongues, by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people. And even then, they won't listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers. They're already convinced of God. But for unbelievers who need evidence. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers because they just need direction. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and the outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say you are all out of your minds? But if all prophesy and they enter, they're convicted by all, called to account by all, and the secrets of their heart are disclosed and falling on their face, they will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What did he say? Guys, what are we trying to do here? Do you need connection with God? Do you need to be built up? Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Get strengthened. But if you're just looking to be showy, if you're just looking to get attention, that's not the way to do it. We're trying to do stuff that helps everybody around us, right? We're trying to bless everybody around us. So how can your gift bless other people? Let's just figure out a way to do that. All right, here's how we're gonna close. There are some of you that, like me as a little kid, you were like, God, I want all of you. And you're like, Paul keeps talking about these spiritual gifts, but he doesn't tell you how to get one. Actually, he just did. He said, if you want to interpret, pray that you may interpret. What was his point? You're allowed to ask your dad, now he's allowed to go, oh, sweetie, no, 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 that one's not for you. I gave that one over to Peter. That's a different guy. You got to go hang out with him. I don't like Peter. I know. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> but you're allowed to ask. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to close out, and I'm just going to say, Lord, you hear our heart. You know we want to be with you whatever is true and legitimate and right and good. God, would you just allow us to follow you in that way? We're not interested in flash or flare, just Jesus, amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you. God, I know that for some of us, Lord, this message is so far over our heads. We can't even imagine, Lord, how you would do stuff like that. God, you know the hearts of your children. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, in this beautiful moment, would you just begin to whisper to us what the more is for us? What gifts do you want to wake up? What connections do we need to make? Because honestly, Lord, we're kind of just dependent on you. <laughs> we're kind of just here. So we're asking, Lord, that maybe in a beautiful way, in the next coming days, you would just land upon us lightly. Reveal to us what is possible, what is good, what is right, how to use it, so we can bless other people and glorify your name. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.